0: What's on the menu with Adrian Abraham on Money FM eighty nine point three?
1: Money FM eighty nine point three twelve to one with Adrian Abraham. Time to shine the spotlight on the FNB industry here. There's a particular restaurant in Singapore that I've been dying to talk about on air. It's Burnt Ends, which is a modern barbecue restaurant here in Singapore, serving modern Australian barbecue, boutique wines and spirits in a fun, relaxed atmosphere. It's held its one Michelin star since first awarded in 2018. The restaurant is currently ranked number 34 on the 2021 San Pellegrino World's 50 Best Restaurants list and number 14 on the 2021 San Pellegrino Asia's 50 Best Restaurants list. At the heart of this modern barbecue restaurant is an open concept kitchen with a custom four ton dual cavity oven and four elevation grills the restaurant also writes new menus daily and believes that there is magic that comes from cooking with wood it's my pleasure to welcome onto the show dave pint he's the chef and owner at burnt ends how are you doing
0: Good, mate. How are you?
1: Yeah, really good. So glad to finally have you on the show. You know, it, it took a little bit of time and it just happened that I was at the restaurant a few months ago and then just by chance ha- bumped into you a few weeks ago and I said, let's finally do it. Tell us a little bit about your earliest memories of, you know, being in the kitchen. Who was your biggest inspiration?
0: Yeah, look, I, I think as a kid growing up, going to my grandma's house on my mum's side was always a big event because she'd be, cooking these big family meals for everyone everyone would be getting together and just just enjoying some really great food and wine that that they put on so i think earliest memory is just hanging out at their house with all our cousins and aunts and uncles and having some great
1: food do you remember a certain occasion that you shared with your grandma that you can recall
0: yeah look i I remember she put on like a, a dinner one one year it would have been one week one year uh with our cousins and the food was so good me and uh, my oldest cousin ate so much food, we literally slumped on the floor and couldn't eat anymore. And so, you know, the enjoyment of food from the family was just very, very ingrained into my memories.
1: Yeah, there's a special place for uh, grandmas when it comes to cooking. I mean, I don't think anyone else can compare to them. Do you remember your first dish that you made? And also, how did your family react to this?
0: Yeah, look, I think one of the first dishes I made was this sort of uh, duck confit and grilled nectarine uh, tagliatelle. And I think it sounded good, it was executed okay, but it was pretty bang average. But my family was very complimentary of it. You know, I could sort of tell that, it, well, I, I kind of knew that it wasn't great, but they were very supportive and positive of it. So I kind of knew, if, if I put it bluntly, I'd be like, they would have been in their head, but we should encourage the poor boy.
1: <laughs> yeah, they supported you then, and I'm sure they're supporting you now. And they are so happy to see the how it all turned out. Let's talk about your culinary journey. You know, you started commercial cooking at the TAFE West Coast Institute of Training. What was your biggest takeaway from that experience and is there a certain memory that, you know, you can recall?
0: Yeah, look, I I think the camaraderie from the people in our class was huge. I remember hating the teacher and thinking that it was a complete waste of time, which I'd probably still stand by today because I think what we learned working in the kitchens was far more valuable than anything that we got sort of from the school itself. So the best thing that we got was the camaraderie, which is still to this day awesome.
1: And how did you push yourself through these times? I mean, you did say that you thought it was a waste of time, but how did you like motivate yourself to get through these classes and make sure you finished this course?
0: Oh, look, I think it was just, you know, something that you had to turn up to every week, like once a week, every week. And you got to see your mates and hang out and then you'd go you'd go off to the pub or you'd go and cook afterwards. And it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but the time in the class was just not the best that we've had.
1: You're absolutely right. I mean, it's one of those things that you just have to go and get through like yeah. school, right? You just have to, you know, you, you need to do it and you'll just get it done because the future you can do whatever you want as well. Before you were Mr. Burnt Ends, you worked with some of the best chefs, including Tetsuya Okuda, Rene Redzepi and Fergus Henderson. But your time in Spain at Asador Echabari in 2010. Now, this remains perhaps one of your most formative cooking experiences. What did you learn here? What was the experience like? What was it like working with the chef?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I, I went there thinking, oh, this will just be another barbecue restaurant, you know, around the world. But you know it's a barbecue restaurant i'm really interested in it so let's go check it out Uh, because it was recommended by uh, a friend of mine at the time and so we went there and checked it out and managed to get a place there after being at noma and it was just like i was absolutely blown away from the produce that they received to how they handled and stored the produce to their techniques and then to the wood fire cooking and just you know the biggest thing that sort of really stood out at that point in time was that you can actually barbecue in a restaurant for a living. It's not something that you do at home with friends or just casually. This is a real restaurant. Barbecue can be a real restaurant. And so I think, you know, that really had a huge impact on me because before that, I just thought barbecue is something that you do with your mates and you have a bit of fun, but it'll never be taken seriously. And so looking back and fast-forwarding to where we are now, it's you know barbecue is now people are pushing it to boundaries that have never been seen before which is absolutely incredible and inspiring
1: yeah and you're certainly one of those individuals as well let's talk a little bit more about that experience how did it shape you to be the chef you are today
0: uh look number one it's sort of it was the first place where i went that said barbecue you can do barbecue for a living and I just absolutely love the process. I love working with fire. I love the magic and the flavors that fire can produce. And just really their ethos of like finding those best products that they can get and working on them seasonally. Like season on season, you see them reappear, but you know, I've been back year after year after year and every year it gets better. And it's just like, how is it getting better? It's like they're doing same or similar dishes with the same product, but it's just getting better, which is just incredible.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure every time you visit or you hear about it, it just shows how much you've grown as well because whatever you've learned from there, you've brought to Ends and, you know, really elevated the restaurant. Let's talk about what happened in 2012. You know, the world was informally introduced to Ends when you set up a pop-up in East London. Great place, East London, nothing against it. Uh, You designed and built the outdoor oven. Now, did the response from the public take you by surprise though?
0: Yeah, 100%, 100%. Mm. It was like, we just thought we were going to just have a bit of fun on a barbecue and it ended up going okay. And it just sort of went from strength to strength. People really enjoyed it. We were having a really good time. We had a really great group of people around us, whether they were DJs or barmen or, or chefs that were helping out. And it was just like, to see the response was just incredible.
1: And I guess that was the the light bulb moment in your life when you decided that, yes, I'm going to go through with this and, you know, really take it to the next level.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, you know, it was kind of like, look, people, people really enjoy it, so let's keep pushing it. Like, this is, I, I mean, there's something that we're doing that's right. We don't know what it is, but let's just keep doing it. You know, like, why, why would you stop? I was having fun, they were having fun, hopefully everyone was having fun and enjoying it, so why would you stop?
1: Yeah, why would you stop? And in 2013, you brought that fun and all those incredible flavours to Singapore as Burnt Hens was officially launched. Talk me through opening day. What was it like? Were you nervous? What was happening?
0: Jeez, it was, I mean, it was a long time ago. I would have definitely been nervous and I would have been working my ass off to make sure that we did the best that we could possibly do at the time. Yeah, look, I think I was nervous, but, you know, everyone that came that opening night, I think we actually had Will Goldfarb, who's like a bit of a living legend in the culinary world. And he just happened to pop in that night for dinner. Like, I don't even remember how it came about, but someone was like, oh, do you mind if this guy Will Goldfarb? And I'm like, that guy's coming. And so, yeah, he showed up and just super nervous and, you know, people seemed to enjoy it.
1: They certainly did. But also, you know, were you worried about the um, response from the diners? Because first time opening up a restaurant in Singapore, completely different to Europe and Australia as well, completely different part of the world. Were you worried about what your customers might say?
0: Uh, Yeah, look, al- always a little bit worried, but, because we had opened or we'd been running in, in London before and, you know, there were, we actually had some regular Singaporean guests as well uh, when we are in London. Our food is not, you know, you don't need, you shouldn't have to think about it. You either like it or you don't like it, right? So the confidence that we had something magic with the wood fire and we could cook technically proficiently sort of meant people might not have been blown away, but hopefully they enjoyed it. It was the right price, the right experience, the right atmosphere and they would have a good time. That was our aim.
1: Yeah, and you've certainly come a long way since then. We're talking 2013 and, you know, what a journey it's been. We're in conversation with Dave Pine. He's the chef ad owner at Burnt Hands, a modern barbecue restaurant in Singapore, serving modern Australian barbecue, boutique wines and spirits in a fun, relaxed atmosphere. Dave, for someone heading to Burnt Hands for the first time, right? How would you explain the art of wood-fired cooking?
0: Magic. I'd say it's something that, you know, you've got to have a really big passion for. Something that can, the knowledge of fire can only be built over time. So, you know, the more we play with it, the more we learn to work with it and understand it and realize that we're not in control of it. Once we give up that control and work with it, then we can start exploring the endless possibilities of it.
1: Yeah, you described it perfectly there. It is magic. Truly incredible what you do at this restaurant. The menu, as I mentioned earlier, it changes every day. So how does it exactly work?
0: We get different deliveries... Come in throughout the week and we've got products that take you know a couple of days to prepare and we can't do this in huge volume so as we go through the days and the weeks and the lunch and the dinners we literally are putting things off and as things run out we're taking them off the menu so there's this constant sort of ebb and flow of different dishes that are coming on on and off the menu throughout the week and month and year
1: for example if someone goes one time and they really like something are they able to have it again or is that not possible
0: I'd say about 60% of the menu is relatively constant most of the time, and we've got about 40% of the menu that is constantly changing and evolving every day.
1: Yeah, and that adds something fresh every single day about it as well. Tell me a little bit more about the alcohol pairings and your signature cocktails. That you mentioned a boutique of wines and spirits. What's best to order here?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, something that I love particularly is our barrel-aged cocktail, so The Slow Gin Negronis and the Barrel Age Negronis and Manhattans are are definitely something that we love and we, we sort of promote as something that we do and we do well. And then we've got this incredible deep dive Australian wine list. So because of our focus on Australian wine, we've been able to go and explore and find these super unique wineries that are just producing these super unique and tasty wines that you can't get anywhere else. We've also managed to dig into like some sellers and find back vintages of Australian wines that you just can't find on the market anywhere else at the moment. So, you know, having this unique focus on Australian wine sort of like holds us back because we don't have all the big French wines and the Burgundies and the Barolos from Italy, but we've been able to find these wines that you can taste at End, but not anywhere else.
1: And pairing your Australian wines with the dishes on the menu as well, how does it elevate the flavours from the kitchen?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, if you like drinking, our pairing is it's something that we work really hard on. And it's not just something that we pair with Australian wines. We have sakes and beers and ciders that all come through ports, that all come through the menu and hit up with every dish. And one of the unique things about the way we do the pairings is that we only write the pairing once we've written the menu so every guest that comes in if they choose the chef's menu then we we go to them we figure out their food menu and then we go to the sommelier and go figure out a wine menu for these guys so every time you can get something different it'll never be a stock standard pairing
1: Yeah, there's something certainly for everyone at Burnt Ends. That's what makes them quite a unique restaurant over here in Singapore. 2018 was a very special moment, not only in your life, but the Burnt Ends journey. You entered the Michelin Guide Selection for the first time with the one Michelin star. What did that star mean to you personally and how did you celebrate the success?
0: Yeah, look, I... I I think I was at the restaurant that night. So I think we popped a couple of bottles of champagne with friends and family at the restaurant that night. And uh, for me personally, it's like it's a great achievement for the team and for the restaurant to show you all the hard work that's been put into it by all our staff, our partners, our families and our friends to be able to produce something that's sort of given the recognition by such an amazing institution. You know, it's absolutely incredible achievement. So we're super proud and super happy of our teams for what they've been able to achieve.
1: Thoroughly deserved. I mean, anyone who's been to burnt ends will understand why it's kept that star and, you know, gone even further. It keeps pushing boundaries. From those highs, of course, 2020 was certainly a low with the COVID-19 pandemic. (laughs) Now, you know, this is dramatically changed the F&B industry it's changed all our lives actually but what were you telling your team particularly you know during the circuit breaker period to make sure that you guys didn't get dragged down but you instead stayed ahead of the game
0: we sort of predicted it would come to Singapore pretty early on and so we braced the team for the changes that we were going to implement early and then we made promises of how we were going to deal with it as we came out of it and you know we looked at we had the benefit in Singapore of looking at what was happening in other countries and how other restaurants and and restaurant groups were dealing with COVID so for the for we, we had the ability to do a lot of planning and So I I guess what we sort of emphasised with our our team is that we want to keep everyone together. Our goal is to come through this as a team and to not lose anyone. And, And what is it that we've got to do to get to be there at the end of this, whenever that happens. And so we sort of banded together as a team and sort of said, look, this is what we think we should do. This is how we're going to work. This is how we're going to operate. And these are the key things that will hopefully keep us in the forefront of everyone's mind. And it it was still about, you know, we're doing delivery, which is not ideal. It's not what any of us want to do. But if we want to keep this going at the end of it, whenever it happens, we need to push and we need to suck up our pride and do delivery.
1: Yeah, and it's still... An incredibly turbulent time, Dave, you know, for the F&B industry here in Singapore. Let's put you on the spot for a bit. What goes through your mind every time you have to rearrange your restaurant to make sure you fit in with the guidelines, the safe management measures, sometimes to, you know, shut down completely and just do takeaways?
0: I think the first thing that goes to my mind is, is this really necessary? And then I probably get a whole bunch of emotions that are similar to a relationship breakup. And then I try and filter that as quickly as possible and think about what it is we need to do as a team to implement any changes that we know we now have to make. And so then it's just it's very once I get through all those emotions, the seven emotions of a breakup, I then my job is then to sort of make sure the team don't go off the rails with the new changes because it's always like, you know, it's so hard for the team to be able to always just you know, we've got we've got seventy people in our organization and every single person feels how Absolutely horrible it is to go through the changes at the snap of a finger, and and we just don't know. You know, there's there's no communication, there's no clear guidelines. It's all very like they woke up in the morning and just went, hey, this would be a good idea, rather than a well thought out and articulated plan to to everyone. And so it's just you you know we do find it very challenging to deal with the rule changes. It's irrelevant of whether we agree with them because at the end of the day, I don't think they care about how we feel about it to be fair if it's saving lives and that's the right response but from an industry point of view just having more and clearer communication and would just go a long way for us in all honesty it, it just mean that we can plan we can discuss with our team we can organize we cannot spend like huge amounts of time backtracking everything that we've put forward for the next week or two weeks rather than just giving us two or three days notice every time so yeah a lot of frustration i suppose
1: Yeah, multiple chefs who I've spoken to as well share the same emotions as well. And they're, you know, I'd say mentally frustrated, emotionally exhausted. And these are all the same sort of emotions that come out every time this topic is brought up. But, you know, despite all these challenges, Dave, Burnt Ends was ranked number 34 on the 2021 World's Best 50 Restaurants and 14 on the 2021 Asia's Best 50 Restaurants now. Let's talk about the World Awards to be 34th in the world. How does that make you feel, you know, despite everything that's going on?
0: To be honest, I don't think I process it well enough. The way I describe our restaurant is we're a little barbecue restaurant in Chinatown, Singapore. And so when you sort of try and translate that in my mind to being the 34th best restaurant in the world, the link doesn't ever make it. And so, you, you know, I think I'm very grateful that people really enjoy our restaurant because that's our number one aim and that's the reason why we opened a restaurant. But I still don't think I I really comprehend the gravity of it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and there's only two restaurants from Singapore that made that list, which also makes your restaurant even more special. I mean, just to be in that list, of course, you aspire to be, uh, you know, the best and it's always about the food. But just to receive that during these hardships, surely it's uh, it makes you feel a little bit better.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, it's very bittersweet because obviously it's an it's an absolutely incredible achievement for for our team and our families and our guests and our partners. But then at the same time, awards like this typically are able to generate a lot of business. And at this time, there's no generation of business through these awards, which is very much, you know, it's very bittersweet. It's great to be recognized. But then, you know, at the same time, I come back from Antwerp where the awards were, I come back to my restaurant with two people dining with a gap of two people and no music. And it's a horrible restaurant. It's not a nice restaurant to be in. I don't enjoy it, so how are my guests gonna enjoy it? And so I think to myself, like I've been, it's really funny, like over this period, I've been listening to American Pie with my daughter, like in the car when I take her to school. And it's just, it's so true. It, It feels like the day the music died and it's like so pivotal and so relevant to us now that it's like, you know, when the music died, Everything got sucked out of life.
1: Yeah, it certainly did.
0: Was it really necessary? I think they've proven now that whether the music's on or off is completely irrelevant to the spread of COVID because cases have continued to drop despite the music being turned on again.
1: You know, without music, I mean, now that it is, you know, it is back on again and when we're having this conversation, it almost feels like it's a strange feeling to have music back again. You know, having not had it for a few months, you really appreciate it a little bit more, don't you?
0: Yeah. No, look, because you don't have it, you realize how important it is. But then I always question the decision to take it away. I really do. And so, you know, it's, it's very sad to have these feelings about music when you should just be able to enjoy music.
1: Yeah, you certainly should. But, you know, Dave, you're still a legend. You are a legend, not only in the culinary world, but on the barbecue scene as well. So for young chefs out there who, you know, look up to you and want to master the art of wood-fired cooking, now what advice can you share with them?
0: Look, I, I think the biggest piece of advice is cook more than you ever thought you could cook. Work harder than you ever thought you could work and eat more than you ever thought you could eat. And if you do all those things, you really, the more time you spend around food, the better. The more you invest in your education in food and your education in restaurants, the better you'll become. If you think you can do it in an eight hour day, you're dreaming, don't even bother.
1: And if you haven't learned anything from this conversation, well, that's the advice that you need. That's all you need, particularly if you aspire to be like Dave Pint. Just before I let you go, Dave, you're, of course, relocating. Tell me a little bit more about this and what we can expect from the new location.
0: Yeah, look, we're on our way up to Dempsey at the moment, Block 7. And we've taken over like a huge space up here. And we're going to be putting in our bakery, a restaurant, a private room, a training area, and a bar. And we've got this incredible alfresco area, which I can't wait to to activate. So I think, I, I don't know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, what's going to change when you get up there? And I think the answer is, I don't know yet because I'm not there. Once we start getting in there and we start cooking and we start using the facilities that we're building, you know, the possibilities could be endless. And we, we hopefully we're going to have this great period over the next two or three years where we're just going to be exploring and experimenting and testing and trialing and and forging the next path for burn ends.
1: Bone Tens Two coming to Dempsey real soon, but how soon, Dave? How soon can we expect this <laughs> restaurant?
0: So the, the bakery, the bakery is up and running. Okay. So Thursday to Sundays, eight till four. The restaurant should be mid December. We haven't fixed the date because deliveries coming and going as they please. So we've got no idea what's happening with it. Um, So we just sort of every week we're like, oh, should we open? Should we not? Should we fix the date? Should we not? And it's just like, we just got to wait till till we get a little bit closer at least. Um, And then the private room and the bar will probably be after Chinese New Year next year.
1: And they did say that with Christmas around the corner, this is probably one of the best gifts that we're going to get is Burnt Ends 2.0. We've been in conversation (laughs) with the legend Dave Pine, the chef and owner at Burnt Ends, which is a modern barbecue restaurant in Singapore, serving modern Australian barbecues, boutique wines and spirits in a fun, relaxed atmosphere. We've learned all about Dave, his life, what the awards mean to him and his thoughts. On the COVID nineteen pandemic. Thank you so much for joining me on the show, and I can't wait for your new concept and just to, you know, see you again.
0: Can't wait to have you back up here, mate.
1: To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts
0: at moneyfm 893sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O, available on Google Play or the App Store.